Hi everyone, I'm Gary Lewis and welcome to the GEO Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to talk about tsunamis. Now, until quite recently, tsunamis was not a hazard that most people knew about or talked about. In fact, other than in Japan, the word tsunami really wasn't widely used. And lots of people referred to the same phenomenon as a tidal wave. However, a tidal wave, that is a wave caused by the change of tides, is considerably different from this horrific geological event known as a tsunami. So exactly what is a tsunami? Well, a tsunami is a series of waves that have been caused by the violent motion of the seafloor. So something that has happened on or very near to the seafloor that has pushed the water column up and down and created a wave that then propagates around the ocean. These waves have really long wavelength. That is the distance between the crest of one wave and the crest of the next wave. But the particles that are moving in that wave aren't just at the top of the ocean, but they extend all the way down to the ocean floor. And that's what makes these things so destructive when they get into shallow water. But let's go back a little bit and talk about what could cause these to happen. There are three main forces that can cause a tsunami to be generated. And remember, they have to be things that move the ocean floor so the water is moved from the surface of the ocean all the way down to the bottom. And these three events are earthquakes, landslides, and volcanic activity. And we're gonna talk about each of those in turn. Earthquakes are by and far the biggest generator of tsunamis around our planet. An earthquake that has taken place at the ocean floor that has raised or lowered the bed of the ocean quickly can generate the tsunami wave. Obviously, the larger the earthquake and the greater that the ocean floor has moved will generate a different sized tsunami. The important thing here is the earthquake has had to move the ocean floor up and down and not from side to side. It is the up and down motion that generates the tsunami. And for that reason, seismologists measuring earthquakes can tell just by the earthquake waves the initial motion of the earthquake and its depth. And based on that, they get a pretty good idea if an earthquake that's taken place has generated a tsunami and can provide warnings about those. So therefore, it must be really important for us to have an excellent earthquake monitoring system around our planet so we can provide information and advice to people if an earthquake takes place that could create a tsunami. The second thing that can generate a tsunami is an underwater landslide, where huge amounts of sediment can sloth off the edge of a continent, creating a huge displacement of water as the material moves down, generating the tsunami. These are not as common as tsunamis generated by an earthquake, and often it could be an earthquake that in itself doesn't generate the tsunami, but can cause the landslide, which then generates the tsunami. So they go hand in hand. And the final thing that can generate a tsunami 
is volcanic activity that takes place right on the edge of the ocean. So a volcano explodes, creating a great pressure wave that pushes the water away from the volcano, generating the wave. We also know of volcanic events where an entire volcano has blown up and the water, not only from the pressure of the wave moving out, but the water pouring back into the cavity of the exploded volcano has been part of the tsunami generating event. But I think here's the important thing about tsunamis. Earthquakes, landslides, and volcanic activity can all affect people who are right there at the event. But the tsunami wave itself that is generated can propagate around the world's oceans and affect people who are nowhere near that initial event. And that's what makes these things so frightening. So now we've talked about what generates a tsunami, let's now talk about the waves themselves. So when a tsunami wave is generated, as I've already said, the water particles are moving from the surface of the ocean all the way down to the ocean floor. So the wave depth is huge. Compare that to ocean waves that are created by the wind, the ocean wave depth, that is the height of the wave to the trough between the waves, is very, very shallow and the water particles are only moving that shallow depth. So when wind generated waves that move across the ocean, when they get into shallower water, when the wave particles that are moving, so the distance between the top of the wave and the trough of the wave can interact with the ocean floor, in this case, closing up to a beach, for example, then the particles get slowed down by that interaction. And what we see is the wave builds itself in height and then eventually the wave will then break against the shore. But because in these wind-generated waves, the particle movement is fairly shallow, the wave doesn't get very, very big and the energy is displaced up onto the beach until the next wave moves along. But in a tsunami, the particle movement is from the surface of the water down to the ocean floor. So if the earthquake has taken place in a very, very deep part of the ocean and has generated the wave, then as the wave moves across the ocean, the particle movement is contacting with the floor of the ocean. As the floor of the ocean gets shallower and shallower, the wave can build up bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So when the tsunami hits shallow water, the wave is huge. Added to that, not only is the wave huge in height, but it extends beyond the wave. So instead of it being one tall wave followed by one deep trough, it is one tall wave with a huge amount of water behind it. That will eventually go down to a trough and then a second wave will come and a third and a fourth, all part of the tsunami event. But the massive water that comes in doesn't come in and then flow out and then come in and flow out like it does with an ordinary wind wave. So part of the hazard of a tsunami isn't just a huge wave at the coast, but a massive water that is all being pushed inland. So the damage of tsunamis is often many, many, many miles away from the shoreline as that amount of water flows up river valleys and wipes out everything in its path. Often one of the signs we see at a shoreline before a tsunami hits is as the tsunami starts interacting with the ocean floor way offshore, 
it starts pulling the water back from in front of it. So the coastline all of a sudden gets drained of water. And in the past, that has been really deadly because people have seen the water drain back and the first human instinct is to rush down to see what is happening. And then people are all on the beach looking to see what's happening when the huge wave of water comes back in. But let's just get back about how these waves travel. The important thing is when a tsunami has been generated, the wave propagates out from the place that it was generated and travels across the oceans around about the speed of a modern jetliner. So around about 800 to 900 kilometers an hour. So what that means is, if an event takes place that generates a tsunami, let's say off the coast of Chile, then we know by working out the speed that these things travel, how long it will take until that tsunami will hit the Hawaiian Islands, uh, Asia, Australia, and even the shores of the United States on the Pacific Basin. And as soon as a tsunami forming event takes place, scientists develop these travel time maps and that gives them an idea of how much warning they can give to all of the coastal communities that may be affected. Some of those coastal communities could be thousands and thousands of miles away and the tsunami wave might take 10 or 12 hours for it to reach them. But at least we can work that out and we can provide a warning. The bigger issue is when a tsunami forming event takes place close to the shoreline and the tsunami wave goes rushing back and it may only be a 30 minute trip for that tsunami to reach communities. Those ones are a lot tougher for us to warn. And in the past, we've learnt that developing countries that don't have a warning system really have suffered greatly at the hands of tsunamis, like what happened in the Indian Ocean tsunami that took place in 2004, where hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. Fortunately, we have now been able to create a tsunami warning system in all our oceans. And the system is fairly basic to understand. Obviously, we monitor earthquakes and we monitor landslides and we monitor volcanic activity. But as I said earlier, not all of those could generate a tsunami. So an additional system has been put in place and that is a systems of buoys or buoys for my Australian folks that measure the amount of particle movement at depth. So if you have a floating device with a long chain that goes down to great depth, if you can measure that the particles are moving at a great depth and not just at normal ocean wave depth, then you know that a tsunami has passed you by. And then, knowing the speed of the tsunami, you can provide warnings for people. But probably the most important thing that we've been able to do is create great education programs to teach people about what to do during a tsunami event and what to look for if you're down at the ocean. And to be honest with you, I use this a lot when I am taking people on field trips that are down to the oceans. And anybody who's been on one of my trips to Hawaii knows that I sit and talk right at the start about what we are going to do if there is an earthquake 
that we can feel. And part of that is due to this tsunami education that I am proud to say I was involved with back in the early 2000s. So now I provide this advice for you if you happen to be down on the coast, whether you're on holidays or whether you live there, about what to do about tsunamis. The first thing is really quite simple. If you are on the coast anywhere on the earth and you feel an earthquake that you know straight away is an earthquake, not one of those, was that an earthquake? Do you think that was an earthquake? But more, oh my God, we are in an earthquake and you feel unstable on your feet, the very first thing you should do once that earthquake finishes is get to higher ground. Remember I said, if an earthquake is close enough and it generates a tsunami, you may have 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes before the tsunami wave comes back to the coast. Remember, it needs to be a fairly large earthquake to generate a tsunami and not all earthquakes do. But just moving to higher ground, and when I mean higher ground, like as far inland as you possibly can get and as quickly as you can get, get in your car and drive, or if you're not in a place you can drive, run up the nearest hill, is the safe thing to do. And if no tsunami has been formed, then you just come back down and get on with your merry life. If you happen to be in a place that has a tsunami warning system, like Hawaii, then large speakers will let out a siren that will warn you to get to safer ground. But you need to know that these things are in place and understand what the warnings mean. Many of these places test their warning systems each month, but you can normally find information if you're staying in a hotel inside a telephone book, which may sound antiquated, but most of them still have them. If you happen to be on a cruise ship or way out to sea, then believe it or not, tsunamis pose you very, very little threat. In fact, most of the times that tsunamis have been generated and move around the oceans, cruise ships and large vessels out of the ocean have hardly even noticed that they have passed through the tsunami because the height of the tsunami wave doesn't get tall until it interacts with the ocean floor getting shallower and shallower. That's when the wave gets taller and taller. Most of the time, people on those ships don't even recognise it's a tsunami wave that they've passed through. But if you're right on the shoreline and you haven't felt an earthquake, but all of a sudden the ocean appears to draw back, leaving the ocean floor exposed where it normally isn't exposed, then very, very quickly get to higher ground. These may sound frightening things, and chances are you will never have to experience it, but if you happen to be at the ocean, feel an earthquake, or you see the water put back, going to higher ground is going to save your life and the life of the rest of the people in your group or family. So have it in the back of your mind, it's better to be safe than sorry. And with that, that ends this episode for today. But as normal, if you are looking for more information about geoscience, then please come and visit us at geoetc.com. That's G-E-O-E-T-C.com, where you'll find more information. If you're a teacher, you'll find lesson plans. You'll find information about the trips that I run every year around the world to visit geological phenomena. And I hope that one day we will see you face to face and we can have that tsunami talk before any one of our trips. But for now, and as always, 
keep on rocking.